Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Hey, welcome to the Asking Why podcast. This is your host, Clint Davis, and... um, Welcome to episode 66. Um, this is going to be me today, no guest. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, this is going to be probably a little shorter one, but I've had a lot of conversations this last couple of weeks um, in how do we kind of de-escalate and calm people down in the midst of a crisis. And it came about just because, you know, we've been dealing with our kids starting school, everybody's going back, the summer's ending, and it seems like everybody's kind of escalated, worked up, stirred up. And so, you know, first, in order to be able to regulate someone else, we have to be regulated ourselves. And so what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, our, our nervous system gets all jacked up and we get in fight or flight and we start working out of our kind of lower functioning part of our brain. So um, what we have to learn to do is whenever we go into situations with somebody who's stirred up, when somebody's upset, we can't just go into it looking at modifying their behavior, trying to change their behavior, you know, get them to stop yelling, get them to see logically because when somebody's upset, they're not thinking rationally or logically. So let's talk about the brain for a second. There's a couple ways of talking about it. There's a kind of a downward triangle where we look at the brain stem and then we look up to, um, this kind of rhythmic repetitive way. And then we go to the next level, which is emotions and connecting. And then we go to the next level, which is the prefrontal, which is the, um, executive functioning. This is being able to like think logically and talking. And so one of the ways to think about it with kids or with anybody really, because when I say kids, you know, most of us as adults, when we get upset, when we get frustrated, we react back down to our childhood trauma. And unfortunately, many of us haven't dealt with that and aren't aware of that. And so at work, in a business, um, at church, I mean, even in the line at Kroger, um, it's, we can quickly spiral back down to acting like a four-year-old, right? And some people say, if you stay in a fight with your spouse or a friend, every seven minutes, you drop five minutes of your age. 
And so it's like, you know, you stay in a fight for 30, 45 minutes. And by the end, everybody's throwing a fit and yelling and screaming or shutting down or crying or, you know, acting like a, a child would. And so what we want to remember is that the reason that's happening is because there, there are deep patterns and neuropathways that have, we've always been and always used to cope with our pain. And so when we go into a situation, if we're not aware of our own patterns, if we're not able to deescalate ourselves, man, there's not a chance in the world we're going to regulate someone else. And we've been doing a lot of equine therapy and working with the horses. And, and that's a great example of, um, being able to be engaged with this 1200 pound animal and you have to be calm. You have to be centered. You have to feel good about yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to believe in the, in the relationship with the horse or the horse is going to have nothing to do with you or it's going to get anxious and run off or it's going to get frustrated and aggressive. And we've come up with all these ways as human beings to pretend like we're happy, right? Smile and walk into church like everything's great, even though we just got in a huge fight with our spouse and yelled at our kids on the way there because they're being obnoxious and loud. And we walk in, we put the, the face on and the mask on, and externally everybody thinks we're okay. Right? Everybody feels like we're connected and calm, but inside we're just a mess. And the reality is is that we, we pretend, everybody puts on the pretend game, like no, everybody feels like each other's fine, but deep down we all know that man everybody's not okay and I don't really feel safe and this person feels a little off and I'm not going to be vulnerable in this moment because something's off and and so what we're talking about today is like why is that why is that off and how do we help people kind of calm down in these moments where they're they're off or upset or some behavioral response is coming out so again if we go back down to the brain we have this you know this bottom reptilian brain this brain stem that's developed first and in order to get somebody out of fight or flight, right, fight or flight or freeze, these kind of biological mechanisms that go, hey, this is dangerous. Well, one of the ways to do that is by doing some rhythmic movement, right, by you tapping a desk, tapping our hands, tapping our, our legs, especially with children. If somebody's throwing a fit, they need some rhythm. That's why mothers rock their babies, right? And fathers rock their babies. They, they move in this rhythm to soothe and pat and calm down. And that's, that's to co-regulate, right? A child needs a parent to help them calm down by co-regulating. That The parent is regulating themselves. They feel calm. They feel relaxed. They know who they are and they know their security and their worth. And they're able to then connect and help the baby calm down. Well, a lot of times as adults, we need help with each other co-regulating. We need somebody, but we don't want to admit it, right? Our pride gets in the way and we go, I should be able to handle this myself. I don't need you because that feels very scary and we've been hurt a lot. And so when you're dealing with another human being who is upset, you have to check your body. You have to check yourself and go, okay, am I regulated? If I breathe, take a deep breath and go, okay, whew, where am I at? Where am I at in my body? Am I acting tense? Are my shoulders relaxed? Is my jaw tight? Are my hands clenching? Because if I go into this situation and they're all out of whack, my kid's throwing a, you know, yelling and mad in the room or my wife's upset or shut down or my husband is, then if I go in there all tweaked up, it's not going to work. So we can do that for ourselves, right? We can kind of step back and forth on both feet. We can take a deep breath. We can pat our legs back and forth. This is one reason why EMDR works so well is this bilateral stimulation of movement. We can take a walk or we can listen to some music. We have to do something first to regulate ourselves and get our brains in line, get our brains in tune. And 
and ultimately as Christians we, to get to the truth, right? To get to who am I, who, who is this person I'm about to connect with, um, and what's my goal. And then after we get to, to that level, right after we kind of get the rhythm, you'll notice, man, your body will start to calm down and your nerves will start to get, you know, regulated. And then you're able to go, okay, what am I feeling right now? I'm feeling a little nervous because I'm not sure if I know how to calm this person down or I'm not sure I know how they're going to respond to me or how they're going to react. And so we, we stay in that and we, we talk ourselves through that truth. And this is where knowing scripture, you know, and knowing what God says to be true and, and being in, in prayer and relationship with other people is so important. Maybe we need to phone a friend. Maybe we need to talk to a counselor. Maybe we need to reach outside of ourselves to, to hear truth from other people and have the Holy Spirit speak in our life. And then once we do that step, we're, then we get to the executive functioning. Then the prefrontal kicks in, and we're able to think rationally and logically, stay calm, stay present, and do all that work. But so many times when we're trying to de-escalate somebody or deal with a crisis or deal with a conflict, we go in thinking we're fine or maybe barely regulating ourselves, and we go in, and at the first moment, boom, it blows up. And so why, is it, why does it blow up so quickly? It's, it, it's what we call the window of tolerance. So either one side of the, the window is shutting down and disassociation, and the other side is yelling and screaming and blowing up. And so everybody, depend, depending on their childhood and their histories, window of tolerance is different. You know, some are short, some are very, very small, and some are wider. And so the goal of doing this type of work in therapy and in relationships is to continue to build our window of tolerance so we can deal with somebody's pain and suffering. We can deal with somebody being upset. We can deal with someone yelling. We can deal with a kid being loud or a spouse with a certain personality trait or somebody chewing in our ear, whatever the thing is that sets us off. Well, if we go from zero to a hundred, our window of tolerance is very small. And so learning to have the insight and awareness to go, okay, what am I feeling in my body? Where am I at? Oh, I'm in fight or flight. I'm wanting to run. I'm wanting to attack. Let me start to do some rhythmic things. Let me start to do some repetitive things. Let me start to build in my life some stretching or some breathing or some, some self-regulation. And then when I do that and when I get myself under control and my heart rate in control and I feel in tune with myself and my body and the ground and the world, now I can start to think about what's true, like about my emotions. What am I feeling? What am I fearing? What am I frustrated with? And after we honor that in ourselves and we see ourselves and hear ourselves, then we can get into the logic of what's true and what's false. And once we do that, then we can engage with somebody else who's in fight or flight. But we can't go into fight or flight with somebody else while we're in fight or flight. And so many times we, we do that. We try to get in there and, and try to fix a problem when we're not regulated. Or somebody's dysregulated and we jump right to telling them what's true and giving them the facts instead of engaging with them and helping them downregulate and be calm and, and go through the steps. So if you think about it, if you're calm and regulated and you know the steps for yourself, then you know what other, the other person's doing. You know they're in fight or flight. You know, so you have to see their behavior as a symptom of a problem. If we trace it back, that, that yelling, that screaming, that checking out, um, that name-calling, right, the refusal to eat, the refusal to go to sleep if it's a kid, it's all a symptom from a root cause and that root cause is I'm, I'm afraid. I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel safe. I want to be in control. I want to protect because I'm in pain and I'm hurting. So we have the opportunity to be calm and, 
know what God says about us, know that we're loved, know that we're valued, know that we're secure, know that he's good, know that his plans are good for us so we can walk into situations and first be a calm presence. Right, so another example of how the brain works that I like to use a lot, I like the, tri- the you know, upside down triangle kind of, but you know, just thinking of it right, left brain. So I'm gonna give you two different options and they'll land for people differently. But for me, it's right brain is emotions and irrational thinking and fear and uh, music and art. And so that gets developed from zero to five or underdeveloped depending on how attuned and attached and connected a parent is to the kid. The more attuned and attached and connected and affectionate and you know affirming a parent is to a child, the better and stronger that right brain gets built. The left brain starts somewhere around four and a half or five, which is logic and math and black and white thinking and protecting mechanisms, you know, very logical. And then as teenage years come on, the prefrontal starts to build and that, that prefrontal, right. It, it is kind of the speaking mechanism for the right and the left brain to talk together and make decisions. So if you think about a haunted house during Halloween or scary movie, <clears throat> you go to the haunted house and, and for logical people, we know that there's going to be a bunch of teenagers or college students dressed up in masks with plastic knives and plastic arms. And you know, you're gonna pay 45 bucks and you're going to walk through this thing. And if you're super logical or you're the guy who's like the tough guy, you know, you, you just walk through the haunted house and you point out everything's fake and you leave and it, you know, there's no emotion attached to it. It's boring. It's ridiculous. But what most of us do is we, we allow our prefrontal to shut down our logic side of our brain and, and get into our feelings, right? Get into scariness, get into anxiety, get into a little bit of fear so that we can quote unquote, enjoy the haunted house, the movie, whatever the situation is. And we, we, we hold reality um, to the side a little bit. And after we get done, our prefrontal kicks in and goes, okay, hey, listen, Freddie and Jason aren't going to jump out behind the closet tonight or tomorrow. It might take a day or two to get that going, but the prefrontal's job is to get us to think logically. But we cannot jump from fight or flight to prefrontal. And so when we think about somebody that's upset and, and we're looking at our child and they're yelling and screaming and crying, or they're turned turned off, or they're not listening, or they're being defiant. We have to remember that they're in the right brain, or their brain, their brainstem, whichever way you want to look at it. They're in fight or flight. They're not able to think rationally. They're not able to let their prefrontal speak and talk. And so, we have to instead of thinking you need to get it together, I'm going to tell you truth so you regulate yourself and then give me what I need. We have to help them co-regulate. And I think that's the community aspect that God's talking about in scripture when he talks about us needing each other and and that you have the Holy Spirit in you and I have the Holy Spirit in me is that that's what helps us regulate is that the truth of who God sees us and says that we are. And, and so when we, we see a person who's upset, what I like to imagine it is there's an arrow, a big lighted up arrow, like you would see outside of like a, you know, a movie theater or something like that pointing here, here's the place, right? Look at, look at their right brain and see that arrow lighting up, pointing, going, hey, listen, your son's crying, your daughter's crying, your wife's upset, your wife's feeling not good enough, your husband's feeling betrayed. Whatever the emotion is, whatever the feeling is, the pain is that's got them in fight or flight, telling them to run or attack or check out, we have to see people and see, oh, my goodness, their right brain is turned on. And what's that mean? Well, my instinct is my now I'm wanting to get upset. I'm wanting to get you know, 
tuned up and frustrated and now I'm feeling afraid or, and so we got to regulate, we got to breathe. We got to, we got to calm down. We got to get to the emotions and see what we feel. And then we got to get to logic. We got to practice that over and over and over. So that window of tolerance can handle it. And so when we see people and we go, Oh man, that window, you know, that, that right brain's turned on. What do I need to do to get that right brain calmed down? So if we were doing an MRI of that brain, right, and we just imagine that right brain's on fire and lit up and that left brain's dark and shut off that logic brain. Well, we have to, ha- we ha- obviously, if they have, have trauma and they have a history of any issues or they have habits, their prefrontal's not going to kick in. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit in us to be the prefrontal for them. We have to know what's true and know what's true about us and God and know what's true about that other person so that we can regulate, so we can be calm and we, we start to do a few things, right? First, I think we need to connect. So I'm going to give some steps. Connect with ourself. Connect with who God is, who he says we are, who he says other people are. Hey, this is my son who I love. This is my daughter who I love. This is my wife who I'm here for. This is my friend. This is my coworker. This is my boss. This is my employee. And they're a child of God, and they're known, and they're loved, and they're valued. And my job is to love and value them and, and share the, the love of God with them. So if I connect to myself, I connect to who God says I am and, and those truths, then I can connect to the world I'm in, look around and go, okay, I'm present, I'm safe, I'm, I'm, in a good, I'm in a good place, I have control, God's in control. Then we can feel connected to them. Even if they're upset, they're going to sense that, they're going to feel that underneath it, that you're centered and you're regulated, and they're going to pick up on that. Your heart rate's going to be down. Like, it's crazy, but we know scientifically, like, our hearts put off a EKG, a, a, a a certain thing we can we can map through radio waves and it, it goes up to about six feet and it's uh, the the strongest organ in our body is our heart that puts off this energy and so people can literally start to beat their hearts can literally beat on time once they're connected and they both feel safe and they both feel regulated but they're going to feel that energy from you that that power from you and and we would call that the holy spirit the image of god in us you know, bearing down on them and so that first step is connection Second step, right, if their right brain's turned on and they're feeling emotional and they're feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling lost is to sympathize, right? To say, man, I see that you're really hurting right now. I see that you're in pain. I see that you're really scared. I see you're really frustrated. I see you're really doubting me. You know, you're very angry. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. I hate that you feel that way. I wish you didn't. It's okay you feel that way. It's okay for you to to be frustrated. It's okay for you to be overwhelmed. So you don't have to be anywhere else. You don't have to be anything else. I'm here for you. I got you. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm checked in. So tell me what's going on. Right? So connect and then sympathize. And then thirdly is empathize. Right? Put ourselves in their positions. Actually put ourselves in their shoes and and imagine what it would be like to be them. And again, this takes knowing the person. It takes understanding the human condition. It takes knowing your own self and going, why am I in pain? Why do I react? Why do I scream and yell? Why do, when I get to a place where I'm falling apart, why is that? Well, now I can, I can understand and I can empathize. And sympathy is, you know, I see it, I get it, I'm naming it. And, and empathy is I feel what you're feeling. I, I've felt that feeling before. And sometimes you can tell your own story. Sometimes you can say, yeah, I would feel that same way. It's a huge, huge breakthrough for people, I think, is when you show them humility and you go, yeah, if I were you, I'd be yelling at me too. If 
I were you, I would be checked out. If I were you, I would be, I would have gotten drunk. If I were you, I would have not shown up. So many times though, we respond with, why'd you do that? How could you, why would you do that? I would have done this. I would have done, right. We, we, we skip the steps. So first connect first, second, sympathize, then empathize. And then if they're still escalated, right, we got to kind of repeat those steps maybe because we want them to be de-escalated. We want them to calm down. So we kind of repeat this pattern. And the umbrella is this, this is these three steps are to de-escalate the person. So what happens when we connect, sympathize, empathize is their right brain starts to calm down and they, their prefrontal starts to kick online and they start to regulate and they start to be able to go, okay, I'm breathing. I'm, my body's in control. I'm not in fight or flight. I'm, I'm moving up the chain, right? I'm, I'm not in fight or flight. Now I'm, I, I got this rhythm kind of pattern between me and you. I hear you. I hear your heartbeat. I feel your connection. I feel this truth back and forth. I feel that love and that compassion and that patience. And so now I can feel, oh, I feel loved. I feel safe. I feel secure. I feel seen and heard. Well, now I can get into my left brain, into that logic. The prefrontal can start kicking in and I can start getting this executive functioning and I, I can then start to, to learn. And so step four is, is then that opportunity to teach, that opportunity to engage with what's true. Like, hey, you know, I see you feel this way. I hear it. I would feel the same way. Tell me about why you feel that way. I put myself in your shoes. Oh, now I get it. And it's when you build that rapport and that connection and you get them out of that right brain and that left brain and that prefrontal online, that then you can say, but what's true? You know, do you think I don't love you? Do you think I have what's best, best for you? Do you, you know, what's true about God? What's true about you? What's true about me? We can get into this kind of dynamic, rich conversation about truth and bringing them back to reality. And then lastly, right after we do that, we give them a call to action. We can say like, then we get the right to say, okay, now let's, let's get some accountability around how we're not going to yell at each other anymore, how we're going to do something different. Next time we're going to take some deep breaths. Next time we're going to squeeze the ball. Next time we're going to go sit in our bed and read a book. Next time we're going to go exercise. Next time we're going to call a friend. We can do this call to action, start then working on the behavior modification. We can start saying, Hey, listen, we got to do some things differently. We can't keep hurting each other and yelling and screaming and being unhealthy, but we don't get there until we do the other things. And that's just science, right? That's just biology. That's just trauma responsive care. And I look at Jesus and I look to the word and I see that play out with him all the time. He fully understood the human condition. He fully understood psychology and trauma and the brain and, and all these things. And he, he treated human beings accordingly. And so the, you know, the simple example for me is the woman at the well and we see him kind of go through these things. He didn't, he didn't walk up to the well and, and, you know, this woman's obviously ashamed and triggered and overwhelmed and feeling not good enough and feeling unworthy and feeling like the whole town hates her. And she's coming to the well in the middle of the day because she can't, you know, go with everybody else because people think she's dirty and filthy. And he shows up, Jesus shows up and he already knows all that. And man, I think that's such the beautiful part is like, so do we, you know, if we really, if we've accepted Christ's grace and mercy and forgiveness, then we do understand we can empathize with people. We can sympathize with people. We can connect because we're them. We're not above them. We're not below them. We're not, 
better or worse, we're just sinful, broken people who needed a Savior who received grace that we didn't deserve. And when we receive that and we've lived in that, I mean, how do we look at other people's behaviors and judge it? Now, obviously, we screw that up, and I do all the time, but Jesus didn't. And so he sees this woman at the well, and he walks up, and he he goes, stop sinning. You're, you've committed adultery. Be better. No, that's not what he does. But, man, isn't that what we do so many times with our kids and our friends and our spouses that somebody comes in and they go, yeah, I cheated today, or I lost today, or I lost my temper, or, oh, man, we find out they've looked at porn, or we find out that they you know screwed up their finances, or they did something, and our first instinct is to be like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Let me tell you what the things are that will make sure you don't do that again, and let's get into the plan, and let's get into the work, and you need to stop doing that. And think about my boys and my wife, too, and, and how many times they're doing some behavioral thing <clears throat> that's not good or not healthy or not right, and I want to walk in and just be like, stop doing it, right? You don't get to do that. You don't get to act like that. We don't yell. You know, I go into the fixing. I'm like, oh, you're, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. But they don't listen, and that just escalates the whole situation because it's not the right way to do it. It's not how God says. You know, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so his way is, is the right way, not the way that makes sense in my brain and in the world. And so Jesus kind of takes this woman through these, these steps. He, he connects, he sympathizes, he empathizes. And when he does all of that, when he speaks to her and says, hey, tell me your story. Where, you know, go get your husband so I can connect. And, and she's like, oh, yeah, I don't have one. And he's like, yeah, I know you don't. And the guys you, you've been with are, you know, they're not your husband. They weren't your husband. Or you had five husbands and, you know, the guy you're with is not your husband now. You've been doing this kind of cycle and I'm well aware of it, but I love you anyway. And I've shown you empathy and sympathy, even knowing that you were broken and even knowing you were doing bad behaviors and knowing you were doing unhealthy things. I, I still came to the well. I still sat here. I still connected and empathized and sympathized. I didn't just walk up and tell you you were doing wrong, even though I knew it. It's in that moment that he earned the right to speak truth to her because she was probably calm and she probably was like, wait a second. This is different. I'm so used to everybody responding, telling me I'm doing wrong, telling me what to do in my marriages and to make them last, invalidating me, not supporting me, not being empathetic or sympathetic, not listening, not hearing me. I'm so used to that. Man, this is different. I feel his calm. I feel his presence. I feel him loving me sincerely and authentic, authentically in a way that I've never felt before. And I bet it calmed her right brain down. I bet it got her out of fight or flight. I bet it got into the rhythm, repetitive way in which our brain needs. I bet it got her into the motions that felt good and felt seen and felt known. And I bet her brain got into the prefrontal and she went, you're the Messiah. You're the one. And she knew it to be true in her heart and her mind and her body. And then Jesus said, all right, now go and sin no more. He gave her that call to action. And so I want us to see that this stuff, this, the trauma-informed care, psychology, you know, this stuff that is great, that I love and live and breathe every day and, and eat it up, Jesus was always doing it, in my opinion. He was the best trauma therapist there ever was. And he's given us, he, he leaves and he says, I've left behind something way greater than me. I've got to go so this thing can come. And Scripture calls it the great counselor, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and it, it can help us regulate it can help us know who we are, whose we are, 
that we're worthy, that we're valuable, that we're loved, that we're secure, that we stand in Christ's righteousness, that we're forgiven. And if we can live in that truth, if we can live in that power, then we can help other people calm down and get to the truth. But we can't start with that. We can't just walk in to relationships when people are upset and saying irrational, crazy things and upset things. And we can't just speak truth. We have to speak truth and grace at the same time. And that grace allows us to hear their story, be patient with them, get to know them, connect with them, be in relationship with them. And then we earn the right to speak truth in their life. And then they'll listen. Then that power that, that's in us can flow through us and into that person and miracles happen and changes happen. And every single person listening to this has that ability has that power to change lives and change circumstances and speak truth. And it, it's not because we're doing it. It's not because we have some elaborate way to say it and some perfect thing to say and some intellectual properties. I mean, those things all help, right? Psychoeducation, learning about the brain, learning about the body, learning about trauma, learning about history. I mean, all of it needs to happen. But it has to be in the context of Christ. It has to be in the context of the Holy Spirit's power working through us and in us. Because... At the end of the day, that's what's going to change people. We can know cigarettes are bad and they cause cancer. It says it right there on the package. We can have the intellectual knowledge of it and people still puff them all day long to their detriment. We can know in our heads that God loves us and that Jesus loves us and he's died on the cross and forgiven. We hear it all the time and go, yeah, yeah, that's true. I believe that. Do we? Are we living as if we believe it? Are we living as if the Holy Spirit is dwell, indwelling in us and the, the same power that was given to raise the dead, to raise Jesus, lives in us? If so, then I think we can be calm. I think we can be connected to that truth. We can be regulated. We can get out of fight or flight. And then we're able to be there for other people. And so that's it. It's a simple conversation I wanted to have today. I didn't have any notes. Um, just that, that we've I've been talking about that with a lot of people recently and how to make this make sense for Christians and how do we deal with our kids and how do we deal with our spouses? And, I, and it's not easy. I'm not saying you're going to do it right every time. I certainly don't. And I do this every day. You know, there's days I walk in and I'm like, I need to go in there and validate Grady because he's upset. And I'm like, I just need him to do what I need him to do. And so that's the point. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it all. You're not, we're not all therapists. We don't have to have all this training to do what I'm asking you to do because we only have to do it right about seven out of 10 times. We're going to lose our tempers. We're going to be dysregulated. We're going to get upset. And heck, we need other people to help us regulate sometimes. We can't all just be regulating everybody. We have to be able to get to the point where it's a give and take. It's reciprocal. And I think being explicit in our marriages and with our kids on what, what the story is and what's actually happening is so vital to doing this work, right? That it's not smoke smoke and mirrors, that we're not trying to manipulate anybody, that we're not trying to um, talk somebody into something, but we're just learning to be authentic and imperfect in that. And that builds trust and builds security between people that, hey, man, I I know you're not going to be perfect with it, but I know what our goals are. I know what we're striving for. You know, we apologize to our children. We apologize to our wives. We apologize to our friends. We take responsibility for our actions. And we learn to ask for what we need and have relationships and friendships where we can say, hey, listen, man, you know, 
I know you love me. I know things are good, but I'm feeling super insecure. So could you change the way you say that? Could you change the way you do that? Can you, can you meet this need for me? Because I know it's not true and ridiculous, but I need it. And the other person can be like, well, I know who I am and I know who you are. So yeah, I, I don't mind saying that differently if that makes you feel that way. And we start to live in this patterned life where we can expect other people to be safe for us and we can be safe for them. And there's this back and forth. But we got to keep pushing. We got to keep being in the word, right? And the word being the Holy Spirit, being in Jesus. We keep re reading scripture to know what God says is true about us and know what he says is true about other people. We have to have other people in our lives who are reflecting that truth, who have the Holy Spirit in them, who are speaking truth into our lives. And we got to believe it. We got to live as if we believe it. Not just intellectually know it, but experience it. Experience that. And I think all those things come together to heal our brains, to transform us into these new, new beings that God has created us to be. To bear his image out to the world. To where in conflict, in hardship, how we live and how we do doesn't make sense. How we respond doesn't make sense to people. And it's not what they're used to. And so it shakes them up and changes them. And that's how we can affect the world. So I'm going to stop rambling on. I hope you guys have a good week. I hope this is super helpful. Um, or at least start some thoughts and start some digging. Obviously, there's a lot more information underneath all this of where it's coming from. But just wanted to kind of talk through how to calm each other down and how to process and, and what's going on. And maybe you've never even thought about that you're dysregulated. So maybe this is insightful just for you. And maybe you got somebody in your life. You're like, man, they're really upset and I have no clue what to say or do. And hopefully this gives you some, uh, some practical tools and some understanding underneath all of it. So anyway, hope you guys have a great week. Um, God bless you. Please like, and subscribe and share the podcast. Um, you know, we're doing really well. We've got a lot of listeners and viewers and people are, calling me and emailing us in from all over the country and the world now with uh, just encouragement and changes and they've gotten into therapy they've gotten back into church they're trying to figure this thing out they're doing their own podcast I mean I hear all kinds of things so that's thanks to you guys who listen and share it with each other and just email me encourage me like it's so amazing that the Holy Spirit is working through this thing and, and people are finding healing and restoration so God bless you have a good week